0: Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Welcome back to our deep dive into multitasking. I have to say, this has been a super eye-opening series to work on for me. I felt like I had a good grasp on multitasking, but... As I read more and more, I just found myself asking all kinds of questions, and then finding stuff I would have never imagined. Well, to recap from last week, we learned that there are three kinds of multitasking. Classic multitasking, where we're trying to perform more than one task at the same time. Then there's rapid task switching, where we're just going from one task to another in quick succession. And then we have interrupted task switching, where we're interrupted from one task and switch what we're doing without finishing that first task. We also covered how we're more likely to try and multitask on things we're familiar with, but how that actually creates more of a cognitive penalty from breaking up those tasks, and how we often don't realize how much concentration we're using to complete a task, as evidenced with how dangerous texting and driving is. This week we're going to be exploring more of those cognitive and biological costs of multitasking, then getting into some specific kinds of multitasking that can really drain us, and then we'll finish up with some ways that we can work on reducing the amount of multitasking that we do. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com/multitasking part two. Before we get started, I'd just like to invite you to check out the Hacking Your ADHD Patreon. The show is free to listen to, but I put a lot of effort into every episode. So if you love the show, have the means, and would like to support it, I'd appreciate you heading over to hackingyouradhd.com/patreon and checking out what I have to offer. If you want even more Hacking Your ADHD, at the $10 tier you can get bonus content every month with minisodes that don't appear on the podcast. So just head over to HackingYourADHD.com Patreon and find the tier that's right for you. All right, keep on listening and don't do anything else while we dive back in to multitasking. As always, when we're talking about multitasking, what we're really talking about is task switching. That is, when we're trying to multitask, we're not actually doing two things at the same time. Instead, we're just switching back and forth between things. And what we're really focused on here is two cognitive tasks. Some studies have found that we're capable of doing a familiar physical task while also doing something cognitive. Although there can still be a performance drop there as well. Like when we see people talking on their cell phones and walking into signs and polls. With this task switching comes a switching cost. So every time we switch what we're focusing our attention on, we're experiencing this cost. This cost comes at us in a few ways. In last week's episode, we had our experiment that helped demonstrate how multitasking can actually make us take longer to perform two tasks at the same time rather than doing them one after another. And I also mentioned how I felt like I was more likely to make errors during that test. And that's what a lot of articles on multitasking focus on that multitasking gives us a pretty heavy hit on our productivity. Even then, the research often gets misinterpreted. A common statistic that I ran into was that it can take 23 minutes to refocus after an interruption. This seemed way too long and just seemed off to me. Remember, often when we're switching between tasks, it only takes us a few milliseconds to refocus. I mean, even while I was working on this paragraph, I got a phone call from my wife and then I just resumed my writing. After the phone call, it didn't take me 23 minutes to refocus. The issue is that that 23-minute statistic is actually about how long it took to resume the tasks they were working on after the interruption and including the time to finish the interrupting task. So if we look at that phone call with my wife that was about 5 minutes on the call, then another 5 minutes to send an email based on that call for roughly 10 minutes until I refocused on writing. But I wouldn't really call that needing 10 minutes to refocus. It just took me 10 minutes to get back to what I was doing after dealing with the interruption. And that may just be semantics, but I do feel like that makes the whole idea clearer. And here's the other thing that these productivity hackers missed from that study. After only 20 minutes of interrupted work, people reported significantly higher stress, frustration, and pressure. Other studies have found an increase in the level of sadness and fear participants felt after multitasking. Even if multitasking did make us more productive, These factors might make us seriously question if the improved productivity was worth it. But we don't even get that supposed productivity boost. It's just all bad. There are even biological costs to multitasking. We're burning up oxygenated glucose at a faster rate. The brain uses glucose to fuel all of its activities, and as we burn through our reserves, we find ourselves feeling tired, irritable, and less able to stay on task. And this is all made worse by the fact that we have ADHD. Multitasking creates a dopamine addiction feedback loop. We're wired to want to get that novelty that multitasking can give us. If we break down the process of multitasking, what we have going on when we switch tasks is that we're juggling how, when, and in what order we're doing these tasks. All of that is managed through our executive functions, which of course is something else ADHD brains have trouble dealing with. This not only means that we're more likely to try and engage in multitasking— but that we're also more likely to kind of suck at it. I know there are a lot of people that believe multitasking is an ADHD superpower, but in reality, we just don't understand how bad we really are at it. I do want to give a caveat here to ADHD multitasking. There are times when it can be good for us to semi-multitask, and I'm hedging a little here because I want to make sure that I'm clear that people understand that I'm not talking about performing two cognitive tasks at the same time. What I'm talking about are things like fidgets that can help us engage just a little bit of our nervous energy, can help us focus on whatever we're trying to be focused on. Or how many of us find that we can focus better when listening to music. Of course, this greatly depends on the music. We're better off listening to something without lyrics. And if we're streaming, it definitely helps if we have an option without commercials. Part of this is that we're blocking out distractions around us that might otherwise grab our attention. But when we're listening to the right kinds of music, we can engage the part of our brains that usually distract us. And again, these things don't really feel like multitasking. If we're just idly playing with a fidget cube while listening to a lecture, we probably wouldn't think of doing it as two distinct tasks. Nor do we often think of listening to music as a distinct separate task from whatever else we're doing. Although I certainly ran into some audiophile forums that would definitely take issue with that idea. So this kind of multitasking actually works great with the ADHD brain. It's just that when we try and delve into those more cognitive tasks, that we get in trouble. One of the most pervasive forms of multitasking has become multimedia multitasking. This is where we're consuming two forms of media at the same time. I touched on this briefly last episode, but I think it's something we can really expand into because it's becoming more and more prevalent, and it's certainly something that I struggle with. Just imagine you're sitting down to watch some TV. Is that the only thing you're doing? Or are you also pulling out your phone? This has become so commonplace that we often don't think about it. Of course we're going to be doing something else while we're watching TV. Or how about in those boring Zoom meetings? So convenient that I can minimize the window and still have the active speaker screen go up in the corner. Now I can look at stuff on Amazon while I'm in this meeting. Or even if the meeting isn't boring, maybe I'm just going to do it anyways because I can. Except then I get asked, hey, Will, what do you think about that? And then suddenly realize I haven't been paying nearly as much attention as I thought I was. It might seem fine to be playing a game on your phone while watching the latest episode of WandaVision, but as we switch back and forth between the game and watching the show, there is a cost for every time your focus changes. Now, this is a small cost to be sure. But let's say you're changing your focus every few seconds while watching a 30-minute episode of a show. Suddenly, that small cost has snowballed into a much larger cost. This is the same deal we have with texting and driving. We think that we're paying much better attention than we really are. Even if the cost seems minuscule, it's the cumulative effect that we're actually worried about. No matter what we do, we're going to be doing some task switching throughout the day. There's just no getting around the fact that we don't have any singular tasks that we do straight all day long. What we're worried about is that the cognitive switching penalty is an issue of friction. The more we switch, the higher the cost. So it's fine that I'm going to switch from task to task throughout the day, getting things done. What I don't want to do is move the slider of cognitive switching to the extreme. That's where we start seeing our decline in performance and our emotional dysregulation. I understand the urge to grab your phone, laptop, or tablet when you're watching TV. Sometimes TV just isn't stimulating enough to keep me occupied while I'm watching. But here's the thing about media multitasking. It's still multitasking, and it still creates those switching costs when we switch from one task to another. Except when we're doing it while watching TV, we're often doing it for a prolonged session. We're essentially binge multitasking, and that creates a much bigger strain on our system than our typical multitasking does throughout the day. We also want to be fair in that Typically, neither watching TV nor scrolling Instagram are particularly complex or taxing activities. That's part of the appeal of media multitasking. It can feel like we're getting a bit more engaged in what we're doing. But studies have found that media multitasking is associated with depression and social anxiety. To be sure, this is only correlational data, but it makes sense with how multitasking taxes our systems. And we tend not to notice these costs as they build up. One of the biggest appeals of multitasking is that we don't have to prioritize what we want to do. Why choose between scrolling Instagram and watching TV when we can just do both at the same time? But as we've seen, this isn't as good of a compromise as we tell ourselves. We're not getting nearly as much out of either experience, and we're draining ourselves of mental energy. Our solution here is that we have to prioritize what we want to do. If I want to watch a TV show with my wife in the evening then that means I shouldn't be taking my phone over with me to the couch. If I need something to do while getting into the show, then maybe I should grab a fidget or try to do a little stretching. But bringing over my phone is only a signal that I'm just not going to be that engaged. That I might actually rather be doing something else. And what we're doing here is a bit of mindfulness. Just checking in with how we feel. More than anything, the reason that we're not noticing these drains is because we're not paying attention and also because we're feeling drained. What we can do instead is work on being more intentional about choosing how we're going to consume our media. I know there isn't enough time in the day to do everything, but that's okay. I'm not going to watch all the shows, I'm not going to see all the posts, and I'm not going to play all the games. We don't have to feel bad about what we're not caught up to because no one's caught up to everything. Spend more time engaging in your media and actually enjoying it. If what you're watching isn't engaging enough, maybe think about watching something else. Because again, we've got limited time. Choose stuff that you really want to watch. As I mentioned in the last section, one of the best cures for multitasking is mindfulness. This can be a hard state for ADHDers to get into because, well, we get distracted. But that's okay. Mindfulness isn't about being focused and keyed in all of the time. It's just about cultivating a sense of awareness to what we're doing. We're not always going to be mindful of what we're doing, but as we go through our day, we can start asking questions like, am I doing what I want to be doing? When we're multitasking, we're giving into all those little distractions that come up and we're not staying on task. So how can we do this? Well, one of the first steps we can take in this process is defining what we're supposed to be doing. Because it doesn't matter if we ask the question, am I doing what I want to be doing, if we don't know what we do want to be doing. If I'm productively procrastinating, it can feel like I'm doing the right things, even though I'm just putting off those more important tasks that would be better for me to focus on. For years, when I wanted to start working on something, I'd find myself sitting down with only a vague idea of what I was supposed to be working on. And this usually happens at the source of our planning, our to-do list. If we write down just the vaguest idea of what we're supposed to be working on, we find ourselves scrambling to find that first step when we're supposed to start working. If instead we have that first step defined for us, then we're going to be a lot better off when we sit down to do our work. Just imagine opening up your to-do list and it just has the word taxes written on it. Okay, well, I kind of know what that means. Means I'm going to be doing something I really don't want to be doing. But more specifically than that, well, it doesn't mean much. Am I gathering forms, or am I filling them out? Am I emailing my accountant, or am I? I don't even know, because that kind of to do is just way too vague. Of course, at the same time, we write to do's like this when we don't know what we're supposed to do. And this isn't really a to do, it's a project, and projects are going to take a number of steps to complete. When I jot something down like taxes, I'd be much better served with a to-do that outlines what really needs to happen, which in this case could be write out everything that needs to happen for me to get through my taxes. And again, be specific about what you want to do. So something like brainstorm what I need to do for my taxes, or list out steps for completing my taxes, or maybe even call my accountant for steps on completing my taxes. Because if I don't even know where to get started, it's a good sign that I might need to ask someone for help. Now, this doesn't always have to happen this way. Sometimes we can trust our future selves to know what needs to happen when we schedule something. When I'm doing weekly and daily planning, I know that I'm going to be fine with some of my things I do fairly regularly. I can put down on my to do list something like work on multitasking script because future me isn't going to get confused about what I would need to do there. But this can lead us into some trouble because our current brain also thinks that we can get away with this for simple tasks. That tax example above is relevant to me because one of the things I dropped on my to-do list is that I need to email my accountant. Well, okay, that might be enough to remind future me about what needs to happen, but it also might not. I might sit there and look at my to-do and think, okay, well, I want to email my accountant, but, you know, why? So when I added that to-do, I also included that it was about taxes and specifically the questions I wanted to ask them. I know this can feel like a lot of work upfront in our planning. But it also pays off in that we can actually get through things on our to-do list. And let's also think about how this works in terms of multitasking. Why write down that question when I could just quickly shoot off that email? Well, because I'm working on planning right now, not emailing someone. There's a good chance that if I open my inbox, there's going to be something else in there that I might have to deal with. Or maybe there's just an interesting newsletter that I click on. The point of planning is so that I can get all the junk out of my head at one time, and then when I'm done, I can go about the process of doing all those things I need to get done. If I'm just trying to do things as they pop into my head, I'm going to end up multitasking and I'm more likely to forget about some of those things that I need to plan out for my day. By doing all my planning up front, I can save myself time later in the day when I wouldn't know what I should be doing. Along with this idea that we want to be specific about what we're doing when we're not multitasking, we, should al- we also want to think about what we shouldn't be doing. By creating a not-to-do list, it's easier for us to focus on the things we want to be focusing on. This list does not have to be exhaustive. I mean, there are lots of things I should not be doing right now, but most of them I don't really have to worry about. I'm probably not going to suddenly get an urge to call my dentist while working on the script, for example. But I might get an urge to surf Reddit or check my email. If that's the case, those are things that should absolutely go on my not-to-do list. A strategy that can go along nicely with this is having a bit of a startup ritual where maybe you put on some focusing music, set your device to do not disturb, and then write out what you're going to be focused on, and also the things you aren't going to be doing. And as I said, the not-to-do list shouldn't be exhaustive, but we still might find ourselves coming up with bright and shiny new distracting thoughts as we work. Maybe I do realize that I want to call my dentist suddenly because I realize I haven't had an appointment all pandemic, and I really don't want my teeth to rot out of my head. Well, I shouldn't call them right then, but I also know that if I don't get this thought out of my head, it's going to plague me until I do something about it. I could put it on my planner and add it there, but that would be pretty distracting too. Instead, what I'd suggest here is just having a place to write down those errant thoughts that pop into your head while you're working. This can be a sheet of paper you keep next to you, or just some sticky notes that you keep on your desk. The important part is that after you're done with what you're working on, that you go over the things you wrote down and do something about them either adding them to your calendar or wherever you need that reminder. And this step is critical because if you're writing things down and not following up on them, you're going to stop trusting your systems. And that's just going to lead you to stop using them. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. 1. Multitasking has both cognitive and biological costs that accumulate as we do more and more task switching. These costs can be especially hard on those of us with ADHD because they can serve to drain our executive functions. 2. Multimedia multitasking is one of the worst ways we can multitask because we're essentially binge multitasking, where we multitask for a sustained period of time and really drain our systems. 3. One of the biggest appeals to multitasking is that we don't have to prioritize what we're doing. We can just choose and do both. Stave off multitasking, work on knowing what your priorities are, and create systems where you can focus on just doing those things. Four, one of our best defenses against multitasking is mindfulness. If we can be specific about what we want to do and then become aware of what we are doing throughout the day, we can help ourselves focus on doing just one thing at a time. For this episode's show notes, go to com slash multitasking part two. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hacking Your ADHD. Or the best way you can connect with me is over at hackingyouradhd.com slash contact. You might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And now be sure to check out the network's newest show, ADHD Diversified with MJ Siemens. I also do a live Q&A with the hosts of the ADHD Rewired podcast network every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30am Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now, for your moment of dad. No joke this week, I just wanted to share something with you. Some people ask how I have so many dad jokes, and the answer is that I just keep them in my dad-a-base.